it's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours, for you to learn ideas so you can keep more of what you make. And you have a question for me, you go to clark.com slash ask, post away. Coming up later, wow, coal in your paycheck. Get coal in your stockings. How about coal in your paycheck? I'm going to fill you in on why even with extremely low unemployment in the United States, a lot of people still are getting no pay raises. Well, let's talk about something positive right now, and that is cell phone service is going through a major transformation in the U.S., and it's because there are a number of companies adopting new methods of providing more affordable cell phone service to you. One that's been around for years is Republic Wireless. Another, which used to be called Project Fi, now called Google Fi, is offering affordable cell phone service. And then two others that have stepped into this space, Comcast in its service territory and also Charter, in its service territories, only for people who live in households that can have Comcast or Charter can you do theirs. Google Fi and Republic Wireless are around the country. All four of these companies can offer cheaper cell phone service by using an advanced technology that was pioneered by Republic Wireless. I don't know if others have copied them or paid them for access to this groundbreaking technology. But what these four can do is they use an extensive network of trusted Wi-Fi all over the country to run your calls over Wi-Fi. And then when you're away from where the trusted Wi-Fi is, the calls go out over cellular. So it's allowed these four to offer lower cost cell phone plans that are generally then are generally available in the marketplace. And in the case of Google Fi, there are big changes where Google Fi in its prior incarnations, Project Fi, FI, only had one phone that you had to buy from them that could do all this exotic switching. And now, because of a technology breakthrough, there are a ton of different phones, including phones you already have, that can be activated on Google Fi that has a base rate for service of $20 a month, and then you pay metered for data, but you use exceptionally low amounts of data because almost always you're on their trusted Wi-Fi. So a typical bill with Google Fi ends up being somewhere around $28 a month. But what's neat is that you only pay for what you use, and that's why people who like Google Fi really, really love it. Uh, One other thing with Google Fi, it can be used overseas in almost any country in the world, a lot of it very similarly to how you'd use it here in the United States. So if you're looking for more affordable options, at Clark.com, we have a freshly updated guide 
to companies that you're not familiar with, cell phone services that may not be anything you've ever heard of, but offer extremely cheap rates per month, as little as $10 a month for your cell phone service with unlimited talk and text for as little as 10 with some amount of data. Jim joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jim. Hey, Clark. How's it going? Great. Thank you, Jim. How can I be of service to you? All right. Uh, I'm looking at moving four miles away, and I was looking for some help on how to find a local moving company. There is no easy, automatic way I can tell you to protect yourself with a move, whether you're going across the country or across town. And it requires some stuff that a lot of it's old-fashioned, and then there are other things that are really brand new. So I'm going to just mention something very briefly for people that are moving state to state, which so many people do. There is something called the Pro Mover Program that is part of the Trade Association for the legitimate movers in the country. And with that program, people are able to find movers that have agreed to live by a code of conduct in how they handle a move. There is no equivalent for a local move. And so that is a problem for people, is being able to pick somebody who is A-OK. One thing I like is, have you ever heard me mention U-SHIP, the letter U, followed by SHIP, S-H-I-P dot com? No, sir. So U-SHIP is kind of like a reverse eBay. And you can put on it what you're looking to move, how much you're looking to move, and you're able to get quotes from people and you set up a time period, you read reviews about what other people have posted about a particular mover, and the prices quoted to you go down over your reverse auction period rather than up. So are you doing a whole house move or a part house move? A uh, part house. My only real question was, I mean, aside from the first, is that should I tell these people when they're putting together quotes that... I'll be moving into an apartment on the top floor. Uh, yes, you need to tell the elevator. truth. <laughs> because with a local move in most places in the country, you're quoted on an hourly rate basis rather than uh, traditional where they give you with a state-to-state move, they give you a flat rate and that's, that's it. When you're moving within a state or within an area, the people moving you are generally only legally allowed to quote you an hourly rate. So that's important. When you're doing a move that is, that's why I asked you if you're doing a whole house or you're doing a partial, if you're asking people to move a certain number of possessions for you, then even in states where normally a whole house move would only be allowed to be quoted as an hourly rate, someone would be able to move stuff like a limited amount of stuff, is able to give you a firm quote for that. But it's key that you be honest with them about what the load in and load out would be. Okay. That's perfect. Thank you. Sure. And you may find, for a local move, some useful reviews on Yelp, although it's not a specialty of Yelp. All right. I appreciate the information. 
All right, and good luck with your move. Anything that is at all fragile or breakable or very valuable, move yourself. And videotape the things you're having moved before you go. You know how smartphones will videotape now? Okay. Videotape your possessions. This is for any kind of move. So that if later on something turns up missing or in a condition that you believe is different than it was when it was picked up, you have your original video that is your best proof of what you had and what condition it was in. That's that's great. I'm going to go ahead and add that to my list now. All right. Well, good luck with your move. Mike is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Mike. How's it going? I'm doing great. How about you? Great. So you, know, you have a question for me that has befuddled so many people. Yes, I do. Uh First of all, I want to say it's such a delight to listen to you. You have well, thank you. exceptional listing skills, and I think that's a skill that's not found very often. So uh, that's completely counter to what my wife says. <laughs> yes. I'm in the auto insurance market. I was looking at some of the ones that are recommended on your webpage, and I wanted to get a quote, but to get a quote to see if I'm eligible they want my social security number. I'm supposed to send my social security number without knowing who's going to get it, how long they're going to keep it, yep. how they're going to safeguard it, what they're going to do with it afterwards, and how or if they're going to just dispose of it. And all I want is a quote from them. Isn't that just them. so unbelievably it's, frustrating? Yes. And everything you said is right, that it is part of the way it works because do you know that with most insurers in most states the number one factor in the decision they make whether they will insure you for auto or homeowners and what premium they will charge you is based on your credit score so that's why they have to have your credit score is because that's what they're actually gonna do is they're gonna run it they want your social security, I'm sorry, so they can run your credit, get your score, and then determine what premium they'll give you a quote for. Is there a way to do that without giving out my social security? There is no way to do that without giving out your social. So, so it's what's considered to be, under the law, a legitimate business purpose. Okay. So what you weigh, you know, everything in life involves trade-offs. So what you're weighing, Mike, is the potential advantage of being with a better or cheaper insurer with the possibility that your Social Security number being there creates yet an additional opportunity for somebody to breach and pretend to be you and apply for credit as if they're you and all that. So when you weigh those two things against each other, I would say it's worth it to give the social security number knowing that you have a much better chance of being with maybe a better or cheaper company against the possibility that something bad happens with your info. Okay. And if you don't like those odds, then you should consider doing a credit freeze where even if somebody has your social security number, they can't apply for credit as if they're you. And that's a good method of protection. Patricia's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Patricia. 
Hey, Clark, how are you? Good. So you're saving the max in your 401k, is that right? Well, that's my question. I wonder if right now my company um, has a great 401k. I've got it in a Roth 401k, and they match 2.5%. And so my question is, do I, the max out is 20%. Do I max out the 401k first and then look at opening and putting money in a target retirement fund? You mean in a separate Roth IRA? Yes. You know, you're reinventing the wheel potentially. If your employer offers a Roth 401k and you're doing that, if you want to go ahead Uh, and just go all the way up to, you said, 20% of your pay in there? That's correct. Well, you would be heroic if you did that because you're changing your financial future. If you're saving a fifth of your pay plus on top of it getting an in-part company match, that would be fantastic for you. And unless okay. your employer has a crummy 401k plan, just going all in with them would be fine. You know, every 90 days, your employer has to give you disclosure now in the statement of all that you're paying for the 401k. And as long as they're charging you all in less than 0.75%, you know, three quarters of 1% or less. Just stick with Mm -hmm. the employer plan and throw everything at it you can, and don't worry about the Roth IRA. Okay, perfect. I've been wondering about this. Okay, very good. Thank you so much. So these are are great problems to have, you know, to be saving, saving, saving. It shows that a lot of our listeners to the Clark Howard Show are different than the national average with uh, most people struggling to save any money at all. And there you are, Patricia, looking to save 20% of what you make. That is a great, great story for which you should be very proud. Liz is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Liz. Yes. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. You just sold your home. I did. How did it go? It went really quickly and really smoothly. Wow, isn't that every homeowner seller's dream? (laughs) Yes. Well, how can I be of service now since you were successful? Well, unfortunately, we haven't found a house to buy yet. So right now we're staying with family until we find the perfect home. And I have about $20,000 that I made off the sale. I'm wondering what I should do with that money until we find a home. You simply put it in what I call a parking space in one of the online banks that you link to your regular checking account, wherever you have that. And that's really the best you can do with money that you're just parking for a while. But it's available to you instantly whenever you need it. Usually it takes 48 hours for it to redeposit into your regular checking account. Mm Mm-hmm. But you can't do any investing with that money. You have to just put it and let it sit and earn what little interest you can. Okay. And one and a quarter is much better than what you're going to find if you were instead to just stick it in savings at your bank or credit union, wherever you are now. All right. So in the online banks, as long as one's FDIC insured, you got nothing to worry about. You're protected to a quarter million. 
which is what I'm sure you wish there was a zero added to the cash you had from it. <laughs> but you you have what you have, and you want to have it be there safe for you when you do pounce on a new home and make an offer. And right. Bankrate has the best tool I know to find the best rates on savings in the country. Okay. So if you go to bankrate.com, you'll see a thing for savings. And I think savings and money market may be what it says. You click on it, and it'll show you the list of the best offers in America today. All right. Thank you so much. Congratulations to you on your home sale being easy and quick. Usually I don't have that to say after selling a home. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where you learn ways to keep more of what you make. What about what you make? Well, there's a new report out from an economist who used to be with the U.S. Treasury Department. His name's Ernie Tedeschi. And Ernie has analyzed what's going on with pay raises and has found that roughly 15% of workers are getting no raises at all. None. So whatever you're making, that's all your employer is going to pay you. And if you don't like it, that's just tough. But is it really? If you stay with that employer, maybe so. But with such low unemployment rates today, you really should get out there and test the market. If you're someone that your employer is being really stingy with, either giving you no raise at all or teensy tiny minuscule raises that you need a microscope to see the raise, then that's the point at which you should use the power of the marketplace to work for you. I don't want you to just get up and quit, but I do want you when you're not at work to go see what else is out there and go see what opportunities might be there that you could make more money. Because, I mean, this isn't like we're in a time that zillion people are getting laid off and everybody's just hoping to find any work at all. This is the opposite. There are millions of jobs going unfilled. And so an employer who says, this is all we value you, and this is it, Maybe it's time for you to go check. Well, I know it's time for you to go check to see if somebody does value you more highly. And speaking of which, something that I've talked about from time to time, federal minimum wage is still just a hair over $7 an hour. But in any, in, in any survey, Americans want that higher. And now there's a new survey out from Pew it finds that roughly close to two-thirds of Americans think the federal minimum wage should be 15 an hour. And I, I've stated my opinions in the past about minimum wage and have been willing to admit that I'm wrong on what I've said potentially in the past. And the American people in every state where the public has been allowed to vote on increasing the minimum wage hasn't mattered if, I mean, we talk about this blue state, red state thing too much, but no matter where it is, people have voted overwhelmingly 
to increase the minimum wage. Politicians don't increase the minimum wage because they only listen to the fat cats that give them money and that's where their hearing is really strong but constituents who want something they can get lost unless they've got a big campaign contribution for them and so that's a fact but the marketplace by itself is raising wages and you're just the one who's got to go out there and seize that marketplace opportunity. Lena's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, how are you doing? Hi, Clark. Thank you for your service. Sure, and you have a question that I'm so glad you're asking. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm going to be shopping for a used vehicle again next year, and I was wondering what your thoughts were on a certified pre-owned and whether it's really worth the extra couple thousand dollars that... They say it's worse. It's a toss-up because you know the term certified pre-owned is just a marketing term. Oh. (laughs) There is no federal or state law that I'm aware of in any state, and there is no federal law that requires that in order to be called a certified pre-owned, that it means something. And any car dealer can say, these are our certified cars. And the manufacturers enter into deals with their franchise dealers that allow them to call a vehicle a certified pre-owned and qualify for an extension of the manufacturer's warranty in return for the dealer doing an in-depth inspection and a reconditioning of what's found in that inspection. The cars are not supposed to have been through a wreck and that kind of thing. But I have a relative who bought a certified pre-owned car that turned out to have been in a bad wreck that was not disclosed and the vehicle never should have been in a certified pre-owned program. Mm. And the reason I said it's, I forget exactly how I phrased it, but the fact that it's not an automatic great thing and not necessarily a bad thing either is that if the manufacturer really is standing behind it for any of a number of years that otherwise you're on your own, Mm-hmm. then that is worth something. Particularly as you question? think about oh, buying sorry. a used car, you may have enormous expense in repairing the engine or transmission. Those are the two key components that are most often covered by a manufacturer's certified pre-owned program for any of a number of years and miles going forward. Mm-hmm. But do you know what you um, still have to do when you get a certified pre-owned? No. Have it inspected by a mechanic of your choosing to make sure it really is in good shape, not just that they told you it's been through this 100,000-point inspection or whatever they say, and, you know, that it's they have certified that it's great, great, great. This is a case where you can't trust. You've got to verify with your own mechanic checking out the vehicle. I've made it sound so unexciting, haven't I? (laughs) No, not necessarily. I I believe that it's a toss-up, but there's this other thing that's offered by sometimes credit unions and dealers, which is you can purchase an extended warranty. So would that be a better option as opposed to getting a certified pre-owned? Well, if you get an extended warranty, I only like it to come from the manufacturer of the vehicle. Hmm. So if you get 
whatever brand you buy, if you get their extension of a warranty at the time of purchase, that I'm okay with. But some third-party warranty, I'm very nervous about those because so often those turn out not to be legit or they go bust or whatever. So you got to be very, very careful with any non-manufacturer-issued extended warranty. Okay. So you just got to do your homework and make sure you're really getting a true deal, though, for your wallet. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, John. How are you, Clark? Great, thank you. I hope you're well, and uh, you've got a, a wedding coming up soon. Is that right? Yes, sir. Hopefully within the next six months, if we can get our affairs in order. Uh, first things first, not to put the uh, proverbial uh, ox before the cart, as they say. My question, I have too many questions, so I've tried to pare it down to just a few. Okay. Um, and I would like to be as general as possible. That way it makes your job harder. Um, just... <laughs> <laughs> So my fiance is going to inherit less than $100,000, I'll say. And she is looking to, among other things, uh, open up a mobile food vending business she's looking into doing. But first, she wants to get her credit cleaned up. And what she has is it's about 7000 if we were to estimate. Uh, we haven't done the credit check yet, the free credit report. But it's split up to about 5000 in unpaid medical bills, about 1200 on something that she's calling a medical credit card which I'm not familiar with what that is, and about 500 maxed out on a major brand credit card. And I know that, and they're all in collections, so I know that you don't just want to call them up and say, here's $5,000, when there's a chance you could probably negotiate for what I've heard, pennies on the dollar. So my main question is, is you know, what's the process of that? Do we, you know, call them, uh, you know, uh, one at a time or... Like maybe a decade. Well, if you want to, no, no, if you want to negotiate, first of all, let me explain the question you asked about the medical credit card. So, a lot of medical providers now not wanting to get stuck with unpaid bills from a customer coming in for medical care will have some form of credit plan that they end up not responsible if you don't pay. So they will, it's almost like a store credit card. Right. And so you can apply for it if you're approved, whatever the doctor is going to bill you or dentist, often in dentistry, these are used. The full amount is, is billed to the card plan. And you may not actually have a plastic card. It may just be the medical credit plan. And then the doctor or dentist gets his or her money and you get your treatment or care, and then you pay it like any other credit card debt. Right, I see. Well, thanks for clearing that part up at least. So, so in each of these items, what she would do is she'd call up and say a relative is willing to help her out so she can settle these debts, and you right. negotiate. You don't, you don't reveal how much money there is and all that, but you say that you would like to negotiate. Now... In a situation like this where she's inheriting that kind of money, she could just clear the decks and pay them off and start fresh, right. and that would be right. her choice. But you have a question about when she gets this large check. Yes, sir. Just wondering, uh, would it be wise to cash it immediately or maybe go ahead and form the business that we intend to start and deposit it into a 
uh, you know, business account, a personal account, and would that alert the creditors? To, are they tied in to where that would compromise our negotiation uh, uh, place at the table? No, it will not compromise. And what she should do is when she receives the check, it goes into a personal account, probably right. an online savings account, one of the online accounts that you can see at bankrate.com when you go to best savings rates. Right. She can link that to her existing checking account. And then once she negotiates whatever the payoff is going to be on her pre-existing debts and charge-off, she'll just send them a check for each of those amounts and she'll be good. Then later she sets up her business and her business account. Charles is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Charles. How are you doing? I'm Clark. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, You want to talk about something your bank is doing. Yes. They have a rewards debit card program they want you to specify to the to the merchant for them to run the card through as credit rather than debit now i understand the bank probably gets a larger service fee by doing that and they then reward points to the card holder that you can redeem with the catalog of you know electronics or gift cards or or what have you my question for you is, if my debit card is run through as a credit, do I gain any credit card security? You do not. Okay. Now, but if the rewards are good enough, you know, debit cards have enhanced risk to you versus credit cards. You know, the debit card has any of a number of issues, but everything in life is calculated risk. And if they're giving you rewards that are generous enough that it's worth getting those rewards, then you just run, when they ask you debit or credit, you say credit, and here's what happens at the other side. So if I'm the retailer and that debit card is run as debit, I pay just pennies to into the banking system to run it. On the other hand, if you say credit, in many cases I'm paying dollars for that to be run. I mean, it's a huge difference. So for your bank, they're generating an enormous fee income every time somebody who has a debit card says it's a credit card or says run it as credit. So what they're doing is they're getting you to generate huge income for the bank, and then the bank rebates part of it to you with the catalog. Right. Well, I was hoping that if I did that, I got the protections of a credit card. But uh... You do not. You know, debit cards, Whether no matter what you tell the retailer, the merchant, the restaurant, whatever, it's still a debit card. Even if it clears the system as if it was a credit card, you still don't have credit card protections. But you would get the rewards, which is neat, right? David's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, David. Hi, Clark. David, you want to talk about your son? Yeah. Well, my son, he's been going to a community college for one year, and now he's ready to transition to a traditional four-year school. And we received his financial aid letter, and he was offered about $6,500 in Stafford loans. However, what really got me is that they offered me, the parent, $35,000 in direct parent plus loans. It was kind of an imbalance, and I'd really like him to shoulder 
a higher percentage of the cost. I want to make sure he has some skin in the game, so to speak. And I was thinking about private student loans, but I've heard you always talk against those. And about yeah, and by the way, with the private they, student loans, they'll make you co-sign anyway. Do you have any options for me? Well, I'm going to sound like a smart aleck, so please forgive me. Will you forgive me in advance? Or? Absolutely. Okay, because I'd really like him to consider when you start talking about borrowing $41,000 for next year, what if he did one more year at community college and then transferred? Because his cost for community college for this first year has been almost nothing, right? That is correct. So if he did a second year at community college and then only did two years at a traditional four-year college, the difference in loan obligation would be enormous because you'd be cutting, if I followed your quick math, it'd be cutting $41,000 in loan obligation right away out of the picture. That's correct. It would. But he's really um, got his heart set on switching. The atmosphere at the community college isn't quite to his liking. So we're just trying to, other than the, the Stafford loans. Yeah, you, I mean, other... you found it. I mean, that is the deal. Is that that's the only one out? Yeah, there. that okay. he's got the limit that he can borrow. Yeah, what I didn't understand is why they offered him such a low amount and me such a high amount. Well, because there's because gonna... the Stafford loans are there's both subsidized and unsubsidized Stafford, but in reality, they are both subsidized to some extent, and then you are paying a higher rate, which is why they'll let you borrow. Gosh, it seems like almost unlimited sums of money. Yeah, and, and I'm not going to take out a loan for that much money each year, that's for sure. Okay. Right, I'm glad to hear that, because you heard me shallow <laughs> breathing while we were talking, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just and it's your money, and I'm shallow breathing about your money, David. <laughs> so that is why the it's unbalanced that way, where it's so little that he can borrow and so much that you can borrow because of the gimme on that rate for him that resets each school year. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.